Good to have you here today. And we are going to be looking at a scripture in Mark chapter 5 that everyone here is probably very familiar with. This has to go down as one of my favorite chapters in the Word of God. I get to, I refer to it a lot. doesn't seem like we actually taught on it in the last uh, recent times, but we have often enough. And so if you'll turn over to Mark chapter 5. Last week we were looking at the raising of Lazarus as we were taking on the topic of is faith past, present, or future? Because sometimes we're looking at the Word of God and it says that we are or that we already have or it's already been done. And sometimes we look at the Word of God and it says, and we shall receive. And then sometimes we look at the Word and God, the Word of God says that we have it. So it seems that sometimes we have it, sometimes we got it, and sometimes we're going to get it. So which is it? Because if we're not clear on it, then when we start having our own confession of faith or when we're making our own prayers, we can be confused. So we want to take on this topic and make sure that we have it right. Is it that I was healed? Is it that I will be healed? Or is it that I am healed? Is it that I have received what I need? I will receive what I need? Or I've already got it? Because if I've already got it, I don't need to believe it for the future, right? And if it's in the future, then it's not in the past. <laughs> so we got to figure out which one it is. And the Word of God is clear on this. So we're going to go to a verse, of, uh, a verse of Scripture. And all the times that we have taught on this, sometimes I carry some things over from the previous times that we, we, we've taught on it, and I bring them back in because I want you to remember some things just to, just to give you a chance to remind you. I want you to know there's not a single thing in here that was put in any of the previous outlines we've ever done on this. Because we're going after this with a particular purpose and a particular uh, uh, view, and we're gonna we're gonna check it out this way. Now, now here we looked at the raising of Lazarus. We saw that Jesus had waited two days after he got the news. He never waited before, and we saw that after he left, he gets to Lazarus. It's about a day's journey or so, and by the time he gets there, he's dead for four days. And he raises him up. Never goes into the city. Raises him up, and we looked at that, and we saw that more than likely. They had a trap waiting for Jesus once he had left that same area and they were trying to kill him. Two times we saw they tried to kill him. And his disciples were so convinced when they went back that they were going to try and kill him again. He said, let's go and die with them. That's how convinced they were. They even said, Master, they, they tried to stone you there. You want to go back? He says, yeah, we're going back. He never enters into the city, but waits for them to come to him outside the city, goes right to the tomb. And raises them up from the dead. Something I forgot to tell you last time. The reason it was safe for Jesus to do this. The reason the Spirit of God led him to do do this. The reason that the Spirit of God had him walking in the day and not in the night. Is because when Jesus came, he went right to the tomb. And he raised someone up who had been dead four days. Which to the Jews was remarkable. Again, we told you, it's not in the Bible. It's their belief. Whatever they founded it on, they believed that the Spirit hovered around the body for three days. I don't believe the Spirit hovers around the body at all. But they did. On the fourth day, it goes on. So you can raise somebody from the dead for the first three days, but not on the fourth day. On the fourth day, it doesn't happen anymore. The body's too dead. (laughs) So when Jesus raised them up on the fourth day, they said, no one's ever done this. This is remarkable. And then the leaders get wind that Jesus is here. Now, how can you stone a man or kill a man who just raised somebody up from the dead who was dead four days? See, that's why it was safe for Jesus to come in and do it. Why? He went right to the tomb. 
He did this, let God show his, his power. He wasn't waiting for him to be dead four days. They stayed, stood there waiting for him to come back for three days. On the fourth day, they dispersed. Jesus came in knowing they had dispersed because he walked in the daylight, not in the night. He doesn't stumble. And that's, uh, that's something I forgot to tell you about last time. Hope you studied it on your own because there's a whole lot of other things I left out. But you'll get it. Mark chapter 5, we're going to be going over at verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, we're skipping over the part of the woman with the issue of blood. Not because I don't like that story. Y'all know that's one of my favorite healing stories in the Word of God. She's one of those people that just had that great faith. And she's she's well worthwhile studying. But we're just going to take a look at Jarius here because of our, our purpose of what we want to do. Now, what we have here is that Jarius is seeing what has happened in the past and this has given him a positive outlook on the future. You see, he's heard that Jesus has gone on and healed people. Masses of people. Many, many people being healed. All kinds of things that they've had, he's healed them of. He's healed them of things that were, uh, uh, that no one thought there was a cure for. Lepers were, were restored. Blind eyes, even people who were blind from birth. Just remarkable things. And he said, my daughter, is sick and, and as he saw it, and apparently he was right. My little daughter lies at the point of death. So he knows there's no hope outside of Jesus at this point. So he comes to Jesus. Because what he's heard in the past has given him faith for the present. He has a present situation. But it's what's going on in the past that gives him that faith in the present, isn't it? So he says, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Now, he knows that Jesus has the power to heal the sick. And so he's asked him to come and to do this. This is a statement of how things are. Or he has a statement of how things are. He states how things are. She is sick to the point of death. That in no way affects his faith for the future. It's a statement of how things are, not what they will continue to be. Now some people, they make a statement of how things are, but they also include that they're going to continue. Right? Well, I've got the flu. Seems like every year I get the flu. I don't know what I got to do to stop getting the flu because every time the flu comes around, I get it. Now, see, that's an admission of how things are and a proclamation that they will continue to be that way in the future. That's not good. That's not what he's doing. He is declaring how things are. She is sick to the point of death. It is not a hindrance to your faith to be able to stand up and say, I am sick. It's okay. You don't have to go around saying, I have the symptoms of a flu. (laughs) You can just stand right up and say, I got the flu. 
But you can smile the whole time you say it, but I'm getting healed. <laughs> you don't have to be one of those crazy people. Goes around denying what's going on. Don't you tell me I got the flu. I don't got the flu. Don't have to do that. The power is not in the denial. The power is what Jesus has done. So, we can acknowledge how things are. And we can also believe for a change. Now, how many of us are a little colder here today? Just a little bit colder. Not a whole lot colder, but you know, it's feeling like October. So when I came in here, into the building, it was 65 degrees. How many people want to worship God in a 65 degree church? Not too, not too many people want to do that. I mean, we've had people all over. I was just telling some of my family the other, the other day, John and I, we were out running. I love running with John. He's a good guy to, to run with. And we were just, we were just out running. And I call it a nice conversational pace because you can talk while you're running. And so we were talking back and forth and we were having this. But I was running over to his house to get him. And on my way over, I'm dressed in a short sleeve shirt that is as airy as it can be. I may just let air just flow right through it. And a pair of shorts and I'm going over there. It's 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday. And I'm, I'm going by. It was a cooler, cooler day. I think we were in the 50s on, on that day. And uh, I ran by a person who was in long pants a shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and a down winter coat. And then we were out about, our family, we were out and about, and we were just watching the people going through the, the shopping area. And there's one guy, he's there in a tank top. That you did, you know, I would go out running. That's kind of a tank top. And his, uh, the, the girl that was with him, uh, she was in a jacket. She had a jacket on. And we passed two people with winter coats in the mall. <laughs> with winter coats on. This is all the same temperature. This is there's not the not different temperatures. So we're all we're all different places. So I came in here at 65. I know that's not going to make everybody happy. So I have uh, I watched it for a while because I know it's going to get up to a spot and we might need to cool it off later on. Not because it's going to be too warm out there, but because everybody's in here jumping around, having fun during worship. You know, the temperature goes up. So I kicked the heat on after a while. It wasn't moving. So I kicked the heat on, moved it up to a certain degree. And um, just so it be, be warm for you. But you see, I didn't come in here saying, oh, it's 65 and it's never going to change. <laughs> People are going to be so sad coming in and it's cold. We didn't do that. See, we walked in, we acknowledged how it was, and we just called for a change. And that's what you've got to do in your life. In order to call for a change, you have to first off acknowledge how they are. If you can't acknowledge how they are, how are you going to call for a change? You've got to acknowledge what's, what's going on. Everyone who came to Jesus for healing told him what was wrong. And not a single one of them did he rebuke and say, oh, you ought not to talk like that. That's not faith. He never said that to anybody. Every single person came. They told him what was wrong. If they didn't, he say, what do you want? And then they told him what was wrong. But he never rebuked them. So wherever that doctrine came from, I don't know. Just some nutty people coming up with some nutty doctrine. Trying to get you distracted. You don't need to do it. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. This is a statement of how things are 
and a statement of how things will be once Jesus comes on the scene. She will live. That's not presence. Present tense. He's not saying she's, she's living. He says that she will live. That's future. So he's got present tense going on and he's got future tense going on. But the reason he has present tense faith is because of what has happened in the past. Now, Jesus hasn't died on the cross. He doesn't have that going on in the past yet. But he has what Jesus has done. The story that we're skipping over, the woman with the issue of blood. When she heard about Jesus, that's what gave her faith. So see, there's some things going on in the past that give you faith for your present. And that's what happened here. So, let's go on with this. Now, here's, here's Jarius. Jarius is saying, here's my problem. My daughter's sick. She's going to die. Here's my plan. I want you to come with me to pray for her or to minister to her. And this is his proclamation. If you do that, she will live. He didn't say, I'm sick. I'm tired. Nothing I do works. I I just want to die and go home. (laughs) That's not what he says. That's what some people say. That's not how we want to be. That's got your past, present, and future all messed up. We'll show you how that is later on. Mark chapter 535. While he was still speaking... Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And we're going to park it here on this verse for a little bit because there's a whole lot of, of stuff in this. First off, Jesus is still speaking. He's speaking to the woman who had the issue of blood, who was healed. And he was telling her about her faith. Your faith has made you whole. That's the kind of things he's talking about. As he is talking about this, after we have had this tremendous miracle where this woman who's had this infirmity all these years and she gets healed right there in the spot and Jesus stops and looks around and says, who touched me? And the disciples after a while, they just said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. They're all over the place. They're touching you from every direction. What do you mean who touched you? No, no, no. Somebody touched me and healing power went out. And so she finally saw she wasn't going to get missed. So she came and declared all the things she does, told him the whole story. And uh, apparently it's a long story. Jarius may be getting a little antsy. You know, we need to get going. Like I said, my daughter's at the point of death. Jesus, she's not moved. Because death doesn't scare him. So he's over there having this conversation. And as he is talking to this healed woman about faith, giving a lesson on faith, as he's doing that, these guys come while he was still speaking, it says. Now, how rude is that to interrupt somebody when they're talking? It says, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. I want to read to you this from um, from the Weiss translation. While he was still speaking, they came from the home of the ruler of the synagogue, saying, your daughter died. Why are you still bothering the teacher? Now, we sometimes capture some things in the, in the Greek that we, some translations miss. He gets a little more wordy in it. But look at, look at this, just to look at the King James. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. 
Now, he's a ruler of the synagogue. Who are the people that give Jesus the biggest, hard, hardest time? Rulers of the synagogue, right? So he is one of the rulers. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. What do you want to bet that he's not very popular at this point? Because he wants to go to Jesus to have him come and heal his daughter. How many of you think that there's some people in the rulers of the synagogue who might be a little upset that he's going to Jesus? I wonder if there was a discussion. I mean, if he's a, he is one of the rulers of the synagogue, his daughter is on the, on a deathbed, don't you think some of the other rulers of the synagogue would have come over? In support? And he says, that's it, I'm going to Jesus. And they may say, don't you go to Jesus, what are you going to him for? Well, no one else is healing people, he's healing people, and my daughter needs to be healed. Don't you be going to know Jesus. He's our enemy. He's not on God's side. I don't care if you think he's on God's side or not. I need my daughter healed. She's dying. And if he left at that point, and these folks were still at the house, because I I asked myself this question. If you had people who were at the house, who cared for this daughter, who cared for this family, and were at the house because they cared for the people in the house. And the daughter dies. What are you going to do? How many of you would say, I'd stay there and comfort the people that are in the house? If you didn't have care for the people in the house, what would you, what might you do? <laughs> Run off and tell them. She's dead. You see, what I think happened in this story is that there was a disagreement about him leaving amongst the other rulers of the synagogue. They didn't like the fact that he went because they're not on Jesus' side. And he may not have been, but he may have no other hope. He may have been. I don't know if he was or it wasn't, but he may have no other hope. When you have no other hope, you'll go and you'll do some things that, I mean, some of you folks might even eat vegetables if you thought it would help you. Isn't that right? If medical science could prove that having a cat in your house might help you, how many of you might go out and get one? (laughs) I don't know if I would do that. I might say, I'll I'll die. (laughs) Yep, uh, that's all right. I was at a house, people's house this, this week, delivering a bunk bed for them. And uh, they had to, they had a little tiny cat, two big dogs, little tiny cat, little kitten, this little kitten cat. And they had to make sure it wouldn't run out the door when I was, you know, bringing stuff in. Of course, I helped them in that. <laughs> no, leave that door open. I need to know. <laughs> no, they they took the, the cat and they locked it up in the room. Little boy let it out. They locked it back up again. But then after I got everything in, they let the cat out. And so I got the whole bed done. I'm all, all finished. And this little tiny kitten cat, they had the two mattresses laying up against the, the wall. And this little tiny kitten cat didn't get up and lay on the smaller twin-size mattress. got up and laid on the bigger one, the full-size mattress. So it's up over here. So I took the twin-size one, 
put it in the bed after it's all set up, coming out to get the other one, and here's this little cat. It's on the mattress I have to move. So, I go up there and I need to pick up this cat and put it down the ground and act like I love this thing. You know, little kids are floating around. They're over here, you know, running around. If I had my way, I'd take that cat and get off this thing. I didn't think that would do so well with kids. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. So I'm going to go over there and I'm gently trying to grab hold of the kit, the kitten. And it's trying to bite me. Oh, yeah. Now I said, oh, it's just playing. I said, yeah. I'm going to start playing with it too. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> but I was able to get that cat. It didn't lay a, a tooth on me and uh, got that thing and put it on down. And uh, they thought I loved cats. <laughs> So the cat was saved. But, you know, if, if we thought something would help, we'd be willing to do it. Whatever it would be. Even if it goes against some things that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't like. Somehow he got the understanding from what Jesus had done that this, this is his only way. This is the, this is the best way I have. Jesus is nearby. My daughter's at the point of death. I'm going to go get Jesus. And so some of these guys, they stay on back. And when as soon as they see that that daughter dies, they head on out. But look at how they, look at how they phrase this. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, if you had a care for this situation, is that how you would address this? If you were to care for this person who just lost the daughter, are you coming up there? Hey, she's dead. What are you going to try and do? Hey, come here for a minute. Come here. I need to, I need to tell you something. I need to sit down. I, I want to be the one to bring this kind of news to you. But I want you to know. She, your, your daughter, she passed away. She went on to heaven. Won't you do that? They don't do that. They don't speak that way. See, this is what makes me think there's some animosity in him going. Being a ruler of the synagogue and all. Now, Weiss puts it this way. While he was still speaking, they came from the home of the ruler of the synagogue saying, your daughter died. Why are you still bothering the teacher? Why are you still bothering the teacher? He said trouble. Let's get into the Greek a little bit more. He pulls out the word bother. You pick up an idea that they didn't really want him here? I think some of the other rulers of the synagogue are at the house. And the people who come are these ones. Now, if you're Jarius and you see these guys coming, what are you thinking? You're thinking at least conflict. And we're coming over here. We just had a big tussle about me coming. Now we're going to have, they're going to come here. Try and keep Jesus from coming. But they had news that to them apparently was good news. Your daughter's dead. Leave the teacher alone. You don't need to be messing with this anymore. 
they rude, they interrupt Jesus, that means they had no respect for what Jesus was saying. If you had a respect for what Jesus was saying, wouldn't you let him finish? You wouldn't just go over there and just interrupt them? But that's what they did. The daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Well, you had faith for healing. How are you even faith for dead people? For some reason they feel it needful that you know this thing now. I think most of us would have just said, well, when he gets back, we'll let him know what's happened. They, they don't do that. No, we need to get out there now. We don't even want Jesus coming around here. I don't even want to know that Jesus came to the house of one of our rulers. Let's get out there and let's stop this from happening. Now, has the enemy ever made you feel like your request is troubling to Jesus? I hear this all the time, and pe- not people here at church, but you know other churches and other countries. I hear them talking. I mean, they go to God and says, "God, I don't want to bother you with this, right?" Oh, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you, right? We're going to barter with God. Because I see what I'm asking him is this is troubling him. This is the this is the troubling matter. But you know, when we had children, you have grandchildren, you have little children in your life, and that little child has a need, and they come up to you. Can I have a drink? Is that a bother? Does that trouble you? Oh, you're just like, Yeah, sure, come on. I was listening to somebody. They were teaching this week, and they were, uh, they were mentioning this. If uh, you know a little a little child, if they lost lost their nickel, lost their quarter, and they're all upset, they lost their quarter. How many of you would say, "Look, get over it. It's just a quarter. It's not a big deal. Stop crying. What are you doing? We wouldn't do that, would we? We would feel for them, even though we have tons of quarters." We would feel, oh man, you want me to help you look for that quarter? Oh, would you? And we sit out there and we look for the quarter. And if we can't find it, we may reach into our pocket, pull a quarter out. Look what I found. <laughs> right? It's not a trouble. It's not a bother. We see that joy that comes on their face. They found their quarter. Oh, we get excited. We're glad for them. What do you think your father does? When he, when we come to him, and we have a need, you think he gets bothered by it? Oh no. He gets excited. Don't think that you're a bother. But you see, the one who wants to promote that is the enemy. And the enemy is working in these people. Stop troubling the teacher. She's dead. You are not a trouble to the master. And Jesus let him know he's no trouble to him either. See, these kind of words are going to come to you. Satan is going to try and throw these things to you. Don't listen. Let's go on to verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. 
Now, I went and got to some of the other translations on this too. Weiss puts it this way. And Jesus overhearing the word spoken. And Jesus over, overhearing the word being spoken. Have you ever had it this way? You are having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden a person of interest you catch out of the corner of your eye approaching somebody and you're still having this conversation but how many of y'all know your ears over here? Right? You ever been there with that one? Your ears over here. I'm listening. I'm tuning in over here but I'm looking at you. <laughs> You've all been there with that one, right? Because something's going on over here that's caught my interest. That's what's, what's going on with Jesus. He's having a conversation with the woman. But, he's, he's listening over here. And believe me, you can talk and listen to this conversation. I've done it. You know, I've, I'm, I'm talking here, but what is that person saying to my son? What is that person saying to my daughter? I know they're saying something that I'm listening because I'm interested in what's going on over here. <laughs> Jesus is interested. What are they saying to Jairus? I know they're up to no good. Those people have evil in their heart. And Jesus overhearing the word being spoken now, Williams goes at another different, a different direction with this. But Jesus paid no attention to what was said. Now, both translations are right because what you're having here is he's having this conversation. He's overhearing what's going on. I'm listening to this. But then when he addresses Jarius, he paid no attention to what they said. Just ignored it. Because what they stated... We didn't need. Now you've had that. You've heard people say some things. Have you ever had a conversation and somebody who had evil in their heart, you could just tell. They were just, they were not right. And they said something. You heard it. But you ignored it. And you just went on and said something. Sometimes, you know, you let people know, I'm ignoring what you said. Because <laughs> that's a statement right there. I can think of some times I've done something like that. Just ignore what they said. Hmm. But Jesus paid no attention to what was said, but said to the leader of the synagogue. See, he spoke to him. These guys that are coming, these guys that brought the report, they have no importance in this thing. Jesus had no heart for them. He had no concern for them. That tells you something about these guys. Jesus doesn't address them. He addresses him. Because you guys are evil. You guys are not people of faith. And you guys have not received the word that Jesus was preaching. So he went past them. And he went to Jairus. Because what he wants to know is, Jairus, you are not a trouble. I'm here to help. And we're going to see this thing through. And so then he goes on. And he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Now, Weiss puts it this way. Stop fearing. 
only be believing. Now you can understand this if the person came with the attitude that these guys probably have and said, hey, your daughter's dead. That can immediately have a reaction on the inside. And fear can come up. Now just because fear all of a sudden comes up does not mean that you've missed it. That fear came up. He said to him, the one who was at present fearing because of what he heard. He said, stop fearing. Williams puts it this way, do not be afraid, only keep up your faith. You see, fear wants to come in and undermine your faith. But just because fear came in doesn't mean faith made an exit. When fear came in, it wants to push faith out. Now there's a battle going on. He says, stop the fearing. Now, keep on believing. See, he didn't stop the believing, but the fear came in. Now he says, right now, this is when you, this is the point of decision. You need to quit this and keep on doing what you're doing. See, he came to him believing. This fear came in. And Jesus overheard what they're saying. Once he heard it, he leaves the conversation with the woman. He says, right to Jairus, stop fearing. And keep on believing. Keep on going in that direction. He did that as soon as he heard it. No time. No time going going by there. The longer you let fear live in you, the more success it's going to have. Chase it out. Get rid of it. He said, do not be afraid. Only believe. Fear may come to people of faith, but only if we let it continue will it undermine our faith. Let's go on to verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. There's that sleeping deal again. See, Jesus is looking past the present. He acknowledges the present, but he's looking past the present, and that changes his outlook on the present. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Now they ridiculed him. Just because you stand in faith doesn't mean everyone's going to be in agreement with you. You're going to have some people that are going to say you're a fool. Why are you believing that God's going to step in? Why are you believing God's going to do this? Say you're a fool. Why are you believing the word of God? Look at what's going on. You're dying. They will ridicule you. But he put them all outside. He didn't tell them all to go home. He just got them out of the room. Then he took the child by the hand and said to, to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, and she was 12 years old. And they were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Now, I don't know how no one's going to know it, 
all them people outside are weeping and wailing because she's dead. And then she comes walking out. <laughs> but he says, don't you go tell nobody. <laughs> How are you going to do with that? Now, understand this. He put unbelief out of the room, but he doesn't have to kick them out of the city. He doesn't have to get them out of the yard. Sometimes people, I don't know where this teaching came. I know some people taught it, but it just it's stupid. They would teach, you know, when other people, they can come against your prayers. No one can come against your prayers. I don't care what anybody else is praying. What nonsense they're praying, so what? Makes no difference. They can be outside praying all kinds of matter of things. Jesus is in their room with the people that are believing. That's all that matters. He doesn't go out there and try and get them all in faith. You might have relatives that are all in unbelief for what the thing that you're doing. You don't have to get them in agreement with you. If they're going to be that way, put them out of the room. If they come to you and say, how's that going on? Things are good. That's it. You've got to tell them anything more. Why are you going to include them? Why Don't bring them into the room. You see, if you start telling them, well, I learned this from God. God was telling me this about the thing. You're bringing them into the room. God didn't say that. You don't need to have those kind of things going on. Get them out of the room. If they don't want to be in agreement with you, show them the door. We don't need you. See, you don't need a whole lot of people. Sometimes we think, well, you know, the person who's dead, you, you need a whole like church full of people, don't you? No. This is Jesus, really. He brought three guys with him. Mom and dad are in there. They give him authority in this situation. So when you're dealing with little kids, you got to deal with the authority, which is the parents. Once you get to a certain age, you're your own authority. And that's why they could come to Jesus and say, I want you to heal me of this. And he didn't have to go to no parents. But when you got a little, little child there, they're under the parents' authority. And Jesus didn't bypass that. So he went to the parents. So unbelief is out of the room. Now, faith has three realms. I gave you a whole lot of blank space in there. You can write in what you want. See, what was done in the past, there, there is what was done in the past to bring about positive change. There are things that have gone on in the past for the purpose of bringing positive change. There's what Jesus did at the cross that will bring about positive change. There is what God has done in your life. And your belief in that and seeing what God has done in the past will bring about positive change. There's what God has done for other people. That's why we share testimonies at the end of the service. So you can hear what God is doing for other people. That builds your faith that God will do it for me. These are things that are going on in the past, the purpose of which is to bring about a positive change. So whatever past you're looking at, it needs to bring a positive change. As long as it does, you're in the, in the realm of faith. I look at what Jesus has, has done on the cross. That brings about positive change in my life. How I look at healing, how I look at provision, how I look at what God wants to do for me. And that's the first thing. That's the present. Or the, the past. What is in our present that needs changing. That's our other focus. We're going to focus on what has been done in the past to bring positive change and what is in our present that needs changing. 
What is going on in my present that I need to see changed? Something in my body, something healing, something on my job, something in my, my life, whatever it is, there needs, there's something in my life that I want to see change brought to. Now that's two of the tenses, isn't it? That's the past and that's the present. We got to cover the future. The future is the hope we set our eyes on. That's the future. The hope we set our eyes on is in the future. The, the Word of God says uh, you know, that our faith is a substance of things hoped for. We've got to have something that we hope for. So the Word of God tells us what we can have. This paints for me a picture of hope. That picture of hope gives me faith to see my present different than it is. I acknowledge my present. My daughter is sick on the point of death. That's acknowledgement of the present. But I'm going to look at this and see it change. Jesus looked at Lazarus. He's dead. That's an acknowledgement of where he is. But God gave him a vision for what was going to happen here. So he had hope for the future. And so he looked on the situation as he's not dead, he's sleeping. I'm going to wake him up. See, it changed it. And that's how faith works. Past, present, and future. So faith is past, faith is present, and faith is future. Now the enemy wants to pervert this for you. He wants to get negative things in your, in your past to tell you that they will continue. Well, I don't know what to do. I've asked God to heal me before and I've never been healed. See, that's something that's going on in the past but it's affecting my present. I don't really believe that God is going to do it because God has never done it for me in the past. Now, most likely, it's not that He's never done it. It's just that sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes it did, but our focus goes on the negative. It never never happens. How many of you ever said that to somebody? You never do this for me. Well, it's not true that they never do. It's just that right now, you're focusing on the times that they didn't. So negative things in our past that will continue. That's what the enemy wants to do. God wants you to focus on the positive things that have happened in the past to produce a change in your present. The enemy wants you to focus on the negative things of your past and see them as continuing. He wants you to see the present conditions as too great for you. you know, I looked at this story not too long ago when the 12 spies went into the land of Israel. They came back out. But there are giants in the land. <laughs> Names all the people that are there. And we are not able to overcome them. See, they saw their present as greater than they were. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to not look at the past like with Israel. Joshua, Caleb, they wanted them to look at the past and see how God delivered them through the seas. How God delivered them from the enemies. How God brought water. How God brought manna. How God did all these different things to help them in the wilderness. But the enemy doesn't want you to look on those things. He wants you to look on the things that failed. Then your present conditions, no matter what they are, are going to be too great for you. They're going to seem like they're too great for you. This is going to lead you to despair of the future. 
you have no hope for any kind of positive change, so you fall into despair because you think that what you have is all you ever will. And whatever conditions you have are only going to get worse. They're not going to get better. Because of the failures of the past, it will only lead to more failures in the future. The enemy wants to pervert the past, present, and the future. God wants each one to have its role. The past, things that have been accomplished, get your eyes on the positive. Write down the things that God has blessed you with. Write down the things that God has done so that when you need them, you can go back there and, and read them over. Oh yeah, God came through. Oh yeah, I remember when God did that. Oh, I almost forgot that God did that. Oh, glory to God. See, that builds you up your, your faith. You go through the Word of God and find out what has God promised me. What has God said in His promises. And I read, that gives me hope. And as I meditate on that hope, it changes my outlook on the present. It doesn't change my present. It changes my outlook on the present. And now, armed with the right past, present, and future, my confession of where I am is altering. But see, not everybody wants to, to do all that. Some people just want to say, well, I've got this thing going on. So-and-so, they, they told us, well, just get up there and declare it. So I'll just get up and declare, I'm healed. But I haven't done any of those other things. I haven't seen the positive in the past. I haven't meditated on the scriptures that promised me something to change. I'm just making a blank declaration. And I wonder why it doesn't work. You meditate on the scriptures. You get that picture. And when you get that picture, you make a declaration. You see, Jarius saw the things that Jesus did. And it gave him hope in the future. When you come, she will be well. And see, that changed his outlook on his present and gave him a declaration that acknowledged where things were, but also that they're about to change. See, that's faith. Don't get confused about the past, the present, and the future. Is it that I was healed? Is it that I am healed? Is it that I will be healed? <laughs> you look at what has gone on in the past. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and His body was beaten and bruised for my, my infirmities. The chastisement of my peace was born Him and by His stripes I am healed. So that's the past tense. That's what he has, he has done. This is where I am. But now I see that all this can change. I see that a restored body. Therefore, I look at my present, not with the gloom that the enemy wants you to look on it. This is how it's always going to be. Now I look at my present and I laugh at it. <laughs> I am not under this I am well I am healthy I am whole that's not denying what I'm going through that's acknowledging what God has done and where I am going when you get all those things understood and working it's simple it's, it's not comp don't think this some complex thing understand what was done 
So it will change your, your present, your view of your present, because of the hope that you have in the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and faith is what is going to change your present. What changed the present of the woman with the issue of blood? Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. We didn't read over that, but you can read the verses in between here and see that. Your faith has made you whole. How many times did he say that to people? Your faith has made you whole. You see, your faith was built on, like hers, what happened in the past. And her declaration of the future. I love her declaration. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. Hmm. See, she had heard and we read the story where people came and they just touched his garment and they were restored. As many as touched his garment, the word said, they were healed. She said, people just touched his garment and they were healed? I can do that. She worked her way up into the crowd and she touched him and Jesus stopped because everyone else who touched him just touched him. But she touched him and he said, power went out of me. Because <laughs> she, she touched him with a hope. Nobody else did. When you come to Jesus and you touch him with a hope that is built on what he has done in the past, what you know will come to you in the future, it will change your present. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Today is our communion Sunday. And as we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, those words just rattle off of our tongue. But we also know that before any of that happened, he was taken before Pilate. He was beaten. Put the crown of thorns on his head. They beat him so badly. He was so marked. He said you could barely recognize him as a man. Now the Romans were beating him. There was a rule in the Jewish people that you couldn't do any more than 39 stripes. That was a Jewish law that was not Roman. The Romans didn't have that. It was the Jewish people who curtailed what the Romans would do. They said, no, 39 stripes, that's it. 40 is too harsh. And so they would stop it then. But the only ones who put the brakes on were the Jews. And the Jews that were present when Jesus was beaten, how many of them wanted him to stop at 39? When it says that he was more marred than any man, he didn't get 39 lashes. They kept beating him. And beating him. And marked him. So badly. But Jesus knew this had to happen because the prophet said, by his stripes, we are healed. He took those stripes in his body so that you wouldn't have to. Our sickness, our diseases were put upon him 
because that was part of the curse of the law. It was through the beating that he received that we were redeemed from that part of the curse. On the cross, when he shed his blood on the cross, is where our sins were dealt with. And this is why Jesus did this in two different parts. He said, the first part, this represents my body, which is broken for you. That was the part before the cross. And then after supper, he presented the cup to them. This represents my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Because salvation is in two parts. One for your body and one for your spirit. He knew we would forget. There are some places that focus on the body and there are some places that focus on the spirit, but God wants us to remember that he did just as much for both. You are healed and you are redeemed because of the work of Jesus on the cross. So as we come to communion here today, let's remember that what he did in the past has a result to change how we view our present. The enemy wants to pervert it. And only you can stop him. He wants you to go on with those confessions. Well, I've been sick. I'll keep being sick. I'll probably die sick. That's what he wants you to get in. That's what he wants you to believe. Once you believe it, you start saying it. The problem is not that you're saying it. The problem is that you believe it. We've got to change our belief because of what God did in the past. And what I've seen him do in my past, it's going to change how I look at my present. I don't have to deny what's going on in my present. I just have to acknowledge what he has declared me to be. My hope for the future is my reality now. What's the things you ask for when you pray? Believe that you have received them and you shall have them. And the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often. Remembrance of me. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, you had blood of bulls and goats. And they were shed to cover up your sins. That's all they could do was cover them up. But when the Lamb of God came and he was judged by Pilate to be without sin, the statement of Pilate, you take him and crucify him for I find no fault with him. The same thing they were doing down at the temple. Use this sacrificial lamb for this lamb is blemish free. And so Jesus was taken to the cross. But he said, remember, this is the new covenant. Our sins are washed away. Our life is redeemed.
Let's drink and remember together. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We are not any trouble to you. No matter what it is that we go through in our present, it's not seen as too little for you. You don't tell us you're too busy. You don't treat us in any kind of a way to make us think you're in a rush to handle each situation loving care we saw Jesus demonstrate down here on the earth. Each one was important. I thank you that what we're going through in our present is important. And what has gone on in the past will build up our faith. And our eyes are set on the future hope that your word paints for us. And that changes how we look at our present. And because we look at our present different. We talk about it different. Our confession is not something that we're trying to talk ourselves into. Our confession is an acknowledgement of all that has gone on before, all that is promised for our future, and our outlook is based on that. I thank you for it, Lord. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's up to this? Brother Keith? Good morning. We have to be expectant. We have to expect God to move in our lives. When we hear the accounts of what Jesus did and how he raised the little girl and, and how they came to him and, and they tore open the roof to, to lower the guy down and you know what? That guy was expecting something, all right? At the pool, he was expecting something. So, yeah, 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 but that's Jesus, right? Well, how about Peter? They said that Peter would walk down the street and people would get healed from his shadow hitting them. They were expectant, right? Aprons or handkerchiefs they'd send to him and they'd get healed. Well, the reason we do our praise reports is the exact same thing. We're rehearsing what God is doing for us, how he's moving in our lives, so we can say, you know what? He did it for this brother, he'll do it for me. He did it for this sister, he'll do it for me. I've got a couple praise reports here. And the first one we're going to go with is from the child's, Marguerite in in general. We had a wonderful opportunity yesterday to be a family. Okay, And it's funny because I was talking to Lissy today, and I was sharing with the kids next door as well. And I'm talking to Lissy, and she said, I liked the funeral yesterday. And we talked about how it was that when you're believers, it's a celebration. We're celebrating someone who is, is we're believing she's got her reward. We know she has it. Our, our hope is in what she is receiving. And that hope is certain. 
So as she is now dancing and praising God and her, she's got that new home and that new body. We talked about that new body. Now, I don't know about you folks, but sometimes I need a new body. All right. Sometimes I get up in the morning. I hear my father. You see, Al's giving me the look, you know, that, that noise you hear. Like, oh, it's like, dad, the same noise my dad used to make, but. God has given us that guarantee. Jesus went to prepare a place for us. And because he went, he's going to come again to receive us. And and Marguerite wants us to know just how touched and how much it means to her and her family that we came around them as a family. But it's not just her, because I said yesterday, we're all that family and we all feel the same loss. Okay, and and through her expression of praise with all of that, when we all go through these situations, we know what our hope is in or who our hope is in. So we can celebrate just like they are celebrating. I have a praise report from Matt. And Matt says his car had a loud exhaust leak. So it probably sound like a car with a big engine, right, Matt? Okay, I, I like to mess with Matt a little bit sometimes. Okay, he was told that it would be over two grand to fix his car. He took it to another garage and praise God, it was fixed for two hundred and seventy-eight dollars. So, all right. So when you've got those financial issues. And you hear God stepping up for Matt, know this. He's going to step up for you. If we are expectant. If we're going expecting to hear the worst, if we're expecting all these things that the world and the enemy wants us to understand, guess what? They're going to tell us that too grand. But when they tell us, he said, no, 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 no. I'm a child of the king. He takes care of his own, right? All right. Praise God. Greet one another. And we're going to get changed over. And we're going to uh, have our salt meeting.